Hello, tribe, and welcome to the High Order Podcast. This podcast is all about finding yourself through mindset and movement. We dive into the philosophy of life, meaning, purpose, and the importance of physical activity. Enjoy the journey. This podcast is sponsored by Exoskin. Exoskin is revolutionizing the performance apparel from groundbreaking technology for your comfort. Their mission is to offer solutions that really work whenever, wherever, and whatever you do. Whether you cross-train, lift weights, run, climb, bike, hike, or even serve and protect. They have an array of compression shorts, pants, shirts, leg sleeves, socks, and toe socks. Head over to Exoskin, that's X-O-S-K-I-N dot U-S, and enter the discount code HOP for the High Order Podcast to receive 20% off your next purchase. We're going to dive into variability of life today. Uh, not only just with fitness, but of course mindset. Weird that we would talk about that, but how are we doing today, Matt? Good, how are you doing? Can't complain. We're sitting out, uh, out here in my front yard, so you might hear a little bit of the cars in the background on this absolutely gorgeous early spring day. And there's really no better time to kind of uh, take advantage of it than uh, talk about some things while we do that. Mm-hmm. So there's always there's always another way to move, right? There's always another way to move. As much as we think we're the most competent, flowing yogi uh, movement specialist, where you're twirling and twisting and you're upside down, and there's always another way to move. And as Kelly Starrett says, the best position to be in is. Mm-hmm. The position one you're, you're currently, currently not in, right? <laughs> yeah. So I thought, uh, I think it's pretty impertinent to talk about what it means to vary up your movement. We'll start with the physical, right? You want to start there? Yeah, Pretty I mean, we, we, you know, the physical movement in general, you know, as your fitness age goes on, how many years you've been training, I think your variability also grows. And... You know, you could take it back to being a child, right? When you're first born, you learn how to roll over. I mean, you're not going to be talking about squatting at that point in your life or doing any sort of jumping or climbing or I anything. I you are that. squatting. You're no, when you're first young. born, you're, 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 I mean, you're learning how to roll over. That's the first thing a baby, yeah. like pick its head up, right? First thing you need to do is like pick its head up, right? right? And then you talk about like rolling over. Cool. Then what happens is then they can get onto like actually get into the, uh, quadruped position right so Mm -hmm. they're going to be on their hands and knees and then they learn how to crawl and Mm -hmm. then they probably learn how to squat first probably before walking because they need to build that stability and pick something up off the ground Mm -hmm. so they get into that standing and then that squatting Mm -hmm. and then they get into that like falling down learning how to fall right right and then you go into walking and so on and so forth so Mm -hmm. when we talk about physical or you know fitness in general uh, we take that same thing. That's why training age is very important. We don't expect somebody who's just starting their fitness journey to be like, I need variability. Like, mm-hmm. no, they need the basics of, you know, squat, press, mm-hmm. and like deadlift, right? Push, pull. Yeah. Yeah. But there comes a certain time when that variability needs to grow, and that could be from a couple reasons, right? Yeah, so actually, we're going to talk about environmental constraints on your movements environmental constraints like how is your environment limiting your movement capacity your your ability to vary up your movement and actually starting off 
with this uh, story of when you're first born is a great way, I think, to start this off. So in the modern Western world, what happens after the newborn goes through all those motions that you just talked about where they roll and then they eventually stand up and take their first steps? We put shoes on them. We teach them how to sit in a chair, essentially. Um, we put them in car seats. We um, give them all kinds of rules, all sorts of... Uh, restrictive um, habits like hey you can't go outside at this time of day you can't you can't take the stairs or you can only take this or you can only take the elevator or you can't um, get off the floor don't go on the floor it's dirty um, all these kinds of rules that we we sort of um, we instill on on our on our youth and those are limiting those limit your variability of movement and they become habits, they become habitual, and you carry them along with you as you, as you grow, as you become teenager, adolescent, and our environment does not, for the most part, encourage us to move and uh, move, period. It encourages us to be stagnant and sort of um, um, idle is probably a good word, and we're we're placed into these square buildings they're very edged off and you're sort of all the all the rules are sort of made up for you subconsciously and consciously at the same time and you're you're not encouraged to hang upside down to roll to jump throw crawl sprint uh, for the most part when you look at our modern day environment, like for just, just the way your nine to five life is structured, you know, even, even a kid's structure is like that too, because now we're putting them in chairs for six to eight hours a day. And then not only that, like kindergarten, when I was growing up was a half day, you know, not only are you you pushing the the mental capacity of learning capacity of, of a child that's so young, um, you're taking away their creativity at that point, which is a variability of the mind, which we'll go into later. Uh, but you now are getting these kids that aren't getting much recess time. So they're not having that chance to explore and to learn about what their capabilities are as a, as a human. And uh, when you're not jumping and climbing on something and using the monkey bars and all that other stuff, you can look at adults and what happens. As an adult, we don't do that stuff, and then all of a sudden we have this pain throughout our body, right? Like, is there a direct correlation? Like, I don't know. I'm not a, I'm not a scientist or anything like that, but I'll tell you what, if I don't move, my body feels like shit. Like I I start getting like pain in my body. And and then I'm like, listen, I haven't like hit the gym in two days or something like that. I need to get moving. Or if I'm on a flight for a long period of time or driving somewhere for a long period of time, when I'm filling up gas, I'm like stretching my, my muscles out. Uh, I, and everyone does it, right? Like everyone that does some sort of stretch or something like that, whether you dive deep into that longer than a minute is one thing. But I like to like give myself, especially before I go on a plane, I'm the idiot at the airport who's doing like squats and like lunges and people are like, dude, is this guy ready to go like WWF and start wrestling someone on thing? Are we ready to tackle someone on the plane? Are we, uh, well, what is this person doing? But that's to help kind of like remove my, my, my stiffness that's going to happen. Yeah. So uh, We've sort of siloed movements, different types of movements with age, with ages, sort of developmental stages. So for instance, first stage, we'll just call it 
you know, um, youth or adolescence and you're, these movements are slowly co-opted out of your life. All the playful movements that we just talked about, like rolling, crawling, throwing, jumping, climbing, etc., squatting on the floor. Um, they're sort of slowly engineered out of your life with our environment, our, our environmental constraints, basically buildings, chairs, vehicles, things like that. You're encouraged to not perform those movements anymore. And it only gets worse as you get older because we're creatures of habit. So the less you perform repetitions of that variability at a young age, it really sets you up for a lifetime of physical limitations. And not only, not only on a musculoskeletal level, like on a tissue level, but just your, um, it has uh, detrimental impacts on uh, your emotional um, well-being in general because um, a sedentary, idle sort of uh, lifestyle, which is essentially what I'm talking about here, we're encouraged to be more idle and sedentary with a lack of movement variability. The more sedentary and idle you become, the more prone you are, in my opinion and the opinions of millions of others, uh, to come down with all kinds of uh, mental illnesses, depression, anxiety, um, addiction, things of that nature. And you're also less, um, you know, if you're not moving, moving as much, you're, you have more of a tendency to be still and not want to go out into the world, experience the world, be around people, explore, go on adventures, travel, and all of that, that lack of doing that, it directly impacts your feeling of feeling connected to people in the world. And that's a huge, huge gap we have in this modern Western world, especially is connection with people. And it's cl very closely tied to a lot of the mental health problems that we're seeing currently. Yeah, and I think, uh, you know, we go back into that whole movement of our bodies. Uh, what it also instills is fear. Uh, it instills in fear when we don't move. Because when you're a kid, like, you would do something so dumb, like you jump off something that you're like, I can make this and you don't make it and you eat it hard, right? <laughs> What'd you learn? You probably have a couple scrapes and bruises, maybe a broken bone, but it doesn't really affect you. Like you're just like, okay, I learned my lesson, um, but you're back at it. As an adult, we never make that jump anymore. We're like, well, I'm not, I know I cannot make that. And, and at the same time, it's because that movement of the body is not happening because we don't have that variability. So you immediately say, I can't do that. And you could look at, you know, videos of people doing stuff and you immediately go, I can't do that. It's because you haven't done any sort of movement to create the idea that it is possible in your body. And because of that, your muscles have tightened up. You probably have bad posture. You're, you know, you have pain somewhere, whether it's lower back and your hip, your knee, your shoulder. And if you were to do that movement and you ate it, instead of just like breaking a bone, you're like tearing ligaments and like you're out for a long time. Yeah. So people now don't have that tendency to try those things because they know that they're going to get like, oh, I'm going to, you know, my entire shoulder's going to get dislocated. There's a but, phobia. Yeah. But if you look at like, you know, I just watched uh, Rotorua. They had. Um, What's that? It's uh a mountain biking slope style competition. They have like four, four stops, it's three stops this year. It's on Red Bull TV. Uh, pretty much the only thing that I do watch, but cause it's all like extreme sports and it's all people that 
are pretty much doing it by themselves. And so they go down this course and it's got like 10 different massive insane jumps and people are doing these, you know, double backflips and front flip tail whips on these mountain bikes. And people are eating it on like a 40 foot booter. So you're gonna launch in over a 40 foot gap, bailing, tucking and rolling and getting up, shaking it off and then going back up for their second run in a half hour. That's because their body is so used to variability and it's so used to moving around that it knows when it feels impact on the ground, the body is able to bend and flex and rotate in the direction it needs to absorb the impact. Coordination and proprioception through repetition and through always holding on to the capacity to do that and never letting that get too far away. In other words, they didn't stop rolling and jumping and landing and learning how to brace their, their body and to absorb the impact at age five. You know, they kept doing it throughout their whole life and now they're 20 and they're doing what, what you're saying. And they, it's, the funny thing is, is like somebody might look at that and say, oh, I, I could never do that because that's just genetic, they're born that way. Here's the irony. It is, and we, it's all genetic, and all of us, they, they just didn't relinquish that capacity and give in to the, to the, uh, the, the environmental constraints of, of movement, you know, in, in my eyes. That's one way of looking at it. Yeah, and, and so you're seeing these people just eat it, and I remember back to when I was living in Korea for a year, and I took up Muay Thai, and our instructor's Master Kim, and uh, occasionally he'd go, hey, let's learn some Hapkido, and... Uh, Korean martial art and one of the first things that he taught us in Hapkido was learn how to fall and we're like this is dumb I just want to kick someone in the face like you know like and in Muay Thai like you're in there and you're just you're literally just kicking you know Master Kim would kick a uh, a baseball bat with his shin and he'd crack it and I'm like dude that's insane and I used to go home and take a foam roller not a foam roller I used to take a uh, rolling pin and just tap it up and down my shins to build up calcium deposits so it would like numb up my shin for that stuff but we would be kicking bags all day long and that was the fun part but in Hapkido you learn how to fall first so you learn and you fall and you're slapping the ground and like this sucks this hurts but after a while you get the way that your body can flow and even if you look at somebody who does a high jump in the Olympics okay if you and I did a high jump when I was in high school on track and field but to, when when person takes off, they can bend their back and, and create a flow around that bar that maximizes the potential. Now, if you take a normal person to go and do that high jump, when they jump, they're not going to have any sort of back bend. So they're literally going to just like lay out flat in the air, and that's as high as they get. Where if you watch like people who do the high jump, they actually arch their entire body and then they kick their feet over, and it's it's a really impressive feat. And if you've never done it. It's a lot harder than you think to get that flow, and it takes a lot of practice. They have to have a perfect setup of where they're gonna take off, so they push off on the right foot, um, and there's a lot to it. But all that stuff is due to variability of keeping it at a younger age and maintaining that. But at the same time, what's great about our body is we don't need to, if we stop doing it as a kid, it doesn't mean it's over. Like, it, we can get all that stuff back. Right, so back to the, I, I said a little while ago, siloing our movements. I think um, I'm using that word to describe um, putting the types of movements that are socially acceptable in chronological age boxes. Like, zero to ten, it's, like, socially acceptable to see a kid running around in the supermarket, falling on the floor, crawling, right? Doing like a wind, like a, um, what's it called? Uh, cartwheel. Cartwheel in, in the middle of aisle seven, stop and shop. That's socially acceptable. And then let's fast forward to age uh, 40. 
Um, could you imagine a 40 year old doing that in a supermarket? No, of course not. You know, and, and if you are doing it, that's awesome. <laughs> but, uh, so the, the movements, the movement variability, um, is basically, it's really strongly correlated to our social norms in our society. And I really encourage anyone listening to go down this rabbit hole and really look deeply into what I'm talking about here, how, um, your movement variability is in my opinion, more closely tied to the social and environmental constraints of the world you live in than it is your physical capacities. And you can look at examples all around the world of people that grow up in, uh, different environments that facilitate movement and, um, encourage um, all kinds of different uh, variabilities of movement and watch watch their their trajectory as they get older and look at how they live their life and the types of things that they do when they're older you know an example would be somebody who lives in like i don't know finland who grew up and watching their parents uh walk and ride their bike to work every day who never sat down in chairs unless they absolutely had to um, you might see a child like that grow up when they're 50 and they're walking around squatting jumping climbing trees like like they're as limber as a 20 year old you know and to me that's like that's uh more closely closely related to the, the impact of their environment the conditioning of their environment than it is any sort of genetic uh excuse you know a lot of people like to give that as an excuse well I, i'm just not i can't do that like it's like actually you we're all sort of born with the ability to do that you know, we're, if you don't use it, you lose it. We've said that before. And, um, it sucks to hear that. Cause it seems like it's so, it's kind of annoying to hear people say that you don't use it, you lose it. Um, so if you don't use your external internal rotation, then you lose the capacity. And then that wreaks havoc across your body. If you don't use your squat and you ask to grass, if you don't use that enough, then it's going to hurt when you try to do it again, you're going to lose range of motion. And, um, when you're when you're a child you're using that but based on um some of the social norms we have in this particular modern day environment it's um where the messages that we get socially is okay ask to grass squatting cartwheels and jumping and hanging upside down when you're 20 and eh, no it, I, you got to be in the circus to do that yeah, or you have to pay for a parkour gym membership or some sort of membership. Or acro at uh, CrossFit High Order. Just going to plug that in. I'm going to plug that one right in there. Uh, you want to get back to the, uh, you know, elbow stands, handstands, cartwheels, backflips, roundoffs, go uh, go uh, reach out to CrossFit High Order. And uh, Naja does an incredible job. And she can handstand, walk like uh, a champ and hold handstands forever. And um, It's funny you say that because yeah. the fact that we have those things is a sign that we, we don't get them enough in our society. And you, you need to go to classes like that in order to regain those capacities. You just have to, um, if you want to physically regain them, or if you just do, if you've grown up with a lot of movement variability and you've carried that throughout your, your adulthood, and then maybe you just go to those classes just for fun, just to be around a community of like-minded people too. Yeah. We had, uh, this one, guy named Gabriele. He was from Italy. He was an au pair. So it's kind of like a full-time babysitter or nanny. And he came to the gym like two years ago and he walked in the doors and, uh, I go, Hey, how you doing? 
and I'm not going to try an Italian accent because I'm going to jack it up, but he was just like, hi, you know, and uh, he was this lean kid, not too much muscle on him, and uh, he's like, oh, I do boxing in Italy, and I go, okay, well, what, do you, what are your goals here? He goes, uh, to not look like an American and be fat, <laughs> and, I, and I just, it made me laugh, and I'm like, I love this kid already, right? So, uh, so I'm like, all right, you know, we took him through it and signed him up. You're saying this in a playful way. Just don't get offended, please, if you're listening. Yeah, exactly. But, but uh, yeah, so he comes and he joins it, and he's like, he did boxing before, and so he's babysitting these kids, and every day that he comes in, he talks about our food. He's like, oh, my God, I had Oreos. He's like, they're so good. I now know why Americans are fat. He's like, uh, my all pair uh, mom, you know, the lady that, you know, that he was uh, pretty much babysitting the kids for, like gave me a box of cereal and I ate it all in one day. And he's just talking about how good her food is and stuff. And at the same time, he goes, after a month, he goes, I have driven more in one month in America than I've driven my entire life in Italy. He's like, I ride my bike everywhere. I walk a couple miles to university. Um, he's like, I, I, I just sit in a car all day long. My body hates it. And he spent an entire year with us. Um, yeah, and it, it was awesome because he ended up putting muscle on and, and, you know, he got really fit, which was great. But it was so interesting to hear his story of, like, cars. They have cars where he lives and stuff like that. But it's not like a big means of transportation. It's not like here where we're you can't survive without a car unless you live in a big city. Like everyone has a car and there it's not like this food in general is everything like bought fresh off the market, which is, you know, obviously feeding us health, but yeah, there's like tons of places that don't have that. And guess what? They're a lot leaner and they're just, you know, set up better for it. But yeah. So, you know, varying up your movement, it's you're applying different stresses to the body and it's it requires a little bit if you're multitasking throughout your day and that's what you're used to doing five to ten tasks at one time from the moment you wake up to the moment you go to bed then adding the task of movement variability um, throughout your day is uh it's probably going to require for you to only maybe do one or maybe two things in that moment while you're doing it because it requires focus so it uh it's it's sort of the, the idea of doing this cultivates um this skill of um uh, mindfulness and w what you're actually doing throughout your day um you know you can um stop and close your eyes throughout your day in a private place take a breath and that's that's calming down and being mindful in the moment you might, act, you might also, while you're going throughout your day, stand on one leg and uh, choose to just focus on balancing on one leg. And you're also, that's also sort of a, um, a cue, if you will, like to, to, okay, calm down, be here right now, right? Like is, if you've ever tried to balance on one leg and even close one eye or two eyes or something, I mean, I'm doing it right now. And most people can't even notice. You could be in the supermarket, at the checkout line doing this. It, instead of all that crap that's going on in your head, you might, those 20 things that you're stressed out about, now you're just going down to one. Now you're thinking about, all right, first metatarsal, tripod on the foot, contract proper musculature, going out, try to, you know, hip, hip hiked, uh, relax, you know, upper shoulders. Uh, so that's, that's sort of like rewinding and going down to like the real small. 
but um, extrapolate that into other areas of your life when it comes to variability. Let's, let's uh, you know, I thought it was kind of, I think this might be kind of interesting to kind of go through, let's, let's go through some specifics on, in this modern day Western context environment, let's say you're an adult and uh, you're looking to vary up your, your movement throughout the day. Whether you're absolutely baffled by what we're talking about right now or you kind of have an understanding, let's give a few examples. And I'm just going to rail off some, some stuff that's going to seem absolutely strange at first. But that's because we are, again, constrained by the habits that we've been um, performing for thousands of times every year, especially in our adult life. And we're, we're just so sort of used to going about our day, being constrained by the walls at work, the walls in our house, the 90 degree flat staircases, the chairs that we sit in, the 90 degree angles of the chairs, the steering wheel on your car, or that hunched over position, the computer, etc. So <clears throat> here's some outside of the box stuff, ready? Let's say you have a rear entrance and a front entrance to your domain, your residence. Why not try making the rear, the rear domain, um, put some sort of, uh, 12 inch obstacle in front of the door. So it requires you to sort of lift your leg over that first, maybe put that on your back door so we can give yourself some options here. Maybe, maybe you can't do it that day. So you go into the front door, but Make it so that you can't move that obstacle and you have to lift your left leg or your right leg over it and then step and then open your door. Why not? While holding groceries While too. While holding groceries, absolutely, 100%. Why not on your staircase in your house, pick a few steps and block them off, put some blankets there so it forces you to take two steps. Whenever you hit that one step, you have to take a larger sort of uh, step it forces you to have more flexion more hip flexion knee ankle and you have to push a little bit harder and produce a little bit more force why not put a pull-up bar it's an easy one anywhere in any doorway in your house and when you go through it just hang for a second with two arms one arm maybe do a pull-up if you feel or like swing it. through Swing through. Swing through the. Hopefully, you don't the, rip it right off the door hinge and fall on your ass. <laughs> you know, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna, uh, kind of add on to what you're saying. Um, I put some Instagram videos up. I mean, I do all the time now, with like daily life tips on my uh, my personal page, uh, Fit Pit Crew. Uh, but if you go back in there, I have a couple videos from like last year and the year before, where I was just showing some of the stuff that I do at my house. When when I'm at my house. I'm always like trying to find new movement and like you talk about the stairs and one thing that I started doing was I started going up and down the stairs sideways. Perfect. That's a perfect it's, it's getting lateral movement that you're going up and down and not just going one stair at a time, but like going down the stairs and crossing your leg over and lowering it like a good foot, foot and a half is a lot harder than people think. And you probably don't do that. So simple things like that of just crossing the legs over going up and down. So just talk, like take it step by step the first time. And when you feel comfortable, then start crossing and taking that extra step. We got plenty of, we got plenty of examples of these micro movements that when they add up, they, they, they lead to a better quality of life. They reduce um, pain symptoms from head to toe. It's, it's about repetitions. It's about the long game. It's about modifying your environment in the best way that you can in order to vary up your movement, your physical movement, which again is all connected to your emotional well-being, 
your yeah, spiritual well-being. Um, I mean, a couple of examples. If if everything seems to be at about, um, we'll say like belly button height, you know, in our society, everything is like made for you to be standing up when you're conducting like transactions in the world or you're in your kitchen or your table is this high. And why not try putting like a stool in your kitchen and squatting on that when you're at your counter, right? Why not changing up your steering wheel height if you can on your car every day, move it all the way down, move it all the way up, move your seat up an inch, move it back an inch, put the back up at 90 degrees, put it back at like 110 degrees, maybe changing up, uh, I almost said change up the foot you use on the gas pedal. You're not supposed to do that. That's probably not a good idea. I recently but. tried that. It's a lot tougher than you think. I'm not going to lie. Uh, so, yeah, driving is a big one, too. I mean, you can, there's endless, there's endless, uh, there are endless ways of, like, wedging towels, pillows behind the back and different stress points on your spine, on your hamstrings, on your glute. You can cross one leg over the other if you have the ability to do that. Um... And, well, another one. That, what you do. Another one that I did was uh, I did a squat onto my toes, a barefoot squat, uh, you know, in my living room, barefoot squat, and then I try to find balance in it and started feeling about what's you know which muscles are working, what toes are working, where do I feel the pressure on my foot, and then what I did is I closed my eyes. So now I'm in a toe squat as low as, almost as low as I can get, still under tension, and even go all the way down to it's really low. But then close your eyes and see how fast your balance goes away. It goes away really darn quick. But what's great about your proprioceptors in your body is they can adapt and come back really quick. And a good example of it is like, I bought a slack line maybe a year ago, a year and a half ago. And Matt, you and I went in the back of the gym in the woods. We set that thing up. We tied it up. Just applying the pressure to stand onto that thing, our leg was going left and right, and it was all over the place. And we we're like, holy heck, this is going to take forever to learn. Yeah. And then one thing like, uh, I just realized is that as soon as I was able to stand up on it, I was creating all the tension into my shoulders, and I was trying to hold my body up. And it wasn't until I was able to relax those muscles, push my body weight down into, you know, the Chinese call it your hara, to your tummy, um, where your center of balance is, keep the legs loose and keep the arms up, that I picked up that slack line pretty quick, and so did you. And the same thing, when you came over and did it again, it was went from like I could barely stand on this thing for 10 seconds to, hey, give me like 20 minutes, I could walk across a 15-foot area. Like, it'll be tough, but mm -hmm. I can do it. And once again, it was just a variability because now I'm fighting something that I have to truly focus on. And that was like so great about that. And that's in general, there's a million different like examples you can give. But if we even tie this back to, you know, what we talked about in the beginning of your fitness and what you can do in fitness and variability of fitness, like initially, yeah, go and squat, go and deadlift, go and press and keep it very, formal very, exercises. yeah, informal exercise. This is how we're going to tie it in yeah. is that it's very, you need that stuff initially because you need that solid base. You need that base to be good and comfortable to squat that full range of motion. But after a while, you might hit a plateau in your squat and you're like, what the heck? Or you might start experiencing pain in the body. Well, guess what? Now we find accessory movements. Then you start looking stuff up on the internet or you go into a gym and you're, you're you know, com exactly compensation patterns. And then you start diving into other things. And when you do that accessory work, it's not meant to be like, 
what can I max out on my accessory work? How hard can I go? It's about just adding a little bit in every single day. And understanding the structures that you're limiting capacity in and why the, what that specific accessory protocol, modality, whatever the fancy word would be, what is specifically is that trying to, to strengthen um, in whatever your problem is specifically, whatever you are trying to achieve? Like an example would be, okay, let's say I've had some compensations in my neck because my rotator cuff is weak. So then you might prescribe maybe a high order some sort of an accessory work for doing like some banded warm-ups for your rotator cuff. It's like when you're actually performing those, understand the purpose behind it and that'll help better and it, it'll help you be a little bit more invested in mindful in what, in what it is and mindful, right? So you can you can you can visualize where the muscle is, where the rotator cuff is, and then perform the movement while visualizing where that area is and what the contraction should feel like. And, 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 and that's what's that, those are accessory movements. It's not like I'm going to max out on external rotation with a band. It's like, yeah, it's, it's more like, what's the purpose behind this? And so it's, what would be the purpose with doing warming up your rotator? Like, well, well in general too, like, so a lot of people have that like shoulder issue, like going on the front side of their shoulder. It's deep. It's, it's their AC joint. And, and, uh, a lot of that is due to posture that we have, you know, upper cross syndrome, uh, you know, our text neck and, you know, um, so you, you have a lot of compensation that goes on with your everyday th positions. Like we were talking about sitting in a chair, typing on a desk, driving, it's going to put you into that. And if you think about all the time you drive, if you drive a, a total of an hour a day and you talk about an hour a day for 365 days, you've spent 365 hours adapting to that position which means that your you've taken yeah, your body will adapt and, and will, it's the same way that yeah the same way that a tour de france rider gets off of his bike in four hours and he's still hunched over it's because the muscles will adapt to their current position and back to kelly starrett the best position to be in is the position you're not currently in and that's what it's all about if you've been standing all day you need to sit down if you've been sitting down all day you need to stand up and so that's but, affecting your yeah it, it's, it's affecting all that stuff but if you have that pain in the front side of the shoulder it's like, what the heck, how do I get rid of this? You know, one, in, if, if you don't know what's going on, definitely like seek some help. We can like definitely help you out with that and many other people. But uh, a lot of it is a lot of trial and error and it's awakening those muscles and, and understanding like, yeah, I can give somebody some shoulder exercises to do to help build that like a PT does. But if that PT does not actually explain what they should be feeling during that movement, they're going to be doing that all day long and still using their compensation muscles. Now, at the same time, you have to, you have to take that time of not feeling that muscle over and over again, but keep on trying to get that muscle to work. And, and a lot of times that's with some sort of sensory touch. So like massage does a good job at that. It creates sensory into the muscle that hasn't been worked. And the body goes, oh, there it is. So what I like to do, especially in kinetic therapy and massage is we stimulate the muscle and we say, hey, I need this muscle to work. But then I have you work through a range of motion while I'm stimulating that muscle. So now the brain goes, oh, I could use this muscle during this movement. And that's, then you're like, okay, I totally feel this now. Cool. Now that you feel it, go do these exercises and feel that muscle. Now it's going to be incredibly light because when we are targeting a specific muscle, you don't have a lot of strength in an individual muscle. You have a lot of strength in a group of muscles. And what's going to happen if you push, if you try to stimulate 
with, with too much pressure onto that muscle, what's going to happen at first if with a weak muscle? So it's going to kick in all the other, you know, compensation muscles and patterns that you've been using that got you there in the first place. Yeah. So by going hard and trying to max this stuff out and trying to get a full range of motion, because that's what you want to do. That is an ego issue in your head. And you don't realize it's an it's ego habitual. issue. It's yeah. habitual too. You're like, oh, sh uh, more stress and weight in a harder uh, contraction equals better equals that is what and this I'm just walking you through people's mindsets here when it comes to how to heal like an injury or turn on a muscle for example and this example is counter to your protocols in kinetic massage therapy which is you apply a specific amount of pressure based on the circumstances to the muscle or the structure that's not firing properly. But what most people are doing is the opposite, which is like, okay, my rotators aren't working. I'm going to go in the gym and I'm going to take 50 pound bands and I'm going to do external rotation. And, and, in, in, and every single microsecond that you're performing that accessory movement for that rotator cuff with those, those bands or that weight, that cable weight or whatever it is that you believe is going to help strengthen up and shore up that compensation pattern it's kicking in the compensatory patterning that you've been using that got you there to begin with it's just refiring those compensation patterns over and over and over am i kind of yeah you're 100 and that's exactly what happened so you, you you know what i always say is people do need help understanding that and that's why i'm so fascinated with the body and that's why i made it like my career in life is to teach that because it's so cool when we could work that. But these, like, once again, we're gonna go back to these accessory movements. They're a variability in your training for one. When you hit a plateau, a lot of times it's because you're maxing out whatever muscles that you are and you need to build up the other muscles around that are doing their job. So if you're doing like banded walks or banded like monster walks or side steps, you know, so you're putting a band right above the knees and you're stepping sideways back and forth, you're not trying to go for max reps. What you're trying to do is just feel those muscles kicking on. Once you do that, that that's cool. that's it. So you got to tell yourself why you're doing it and don't get tricked into the habitual harder is better, more is better. Yeah, just you need that do the work, do it slow, methodical. It's the same thing of time under tension. If we create you don't need to go heavy, but the more time under tension that you put a muscle on, the more awakening it it has and the more that it could be used every day, especially making up for your, your compensation or I can't even say that word. Your comp well, I'm just going to say, yeah, yeah, thank you. Yeah. So, so you're, you're building up those patterns. Yeah. Those dysfunctions and you're going to, you're going to start wakening that stuff up. And, and the best, the best thing that I always like to say is like this last year, I spent not lifting any heavy weight. Like I didn't, I, I spent focusing on my feet. I focused on like, you know, getting my feet, my toes to work individually and every little toe. So I should be able to just move my pinky toe by itself. Um, I should be able to swap between my big toe and my little toes. Um, and there's many other things that I did that I spent like an entire year of rebuilding that. I didn't really lift any heavy weight, but when I did go and lift and try a one rep max or a two rep max, yesterday. I was, no, I, well, yeah, I mean, yeah, two days, yeah, yesterday, yesterday we, we did a one rep max and um, this is not about a numbers thing, but it's the purpose I'm telling you the numbers is, is for the purpose of its, its training. So my all time lifetime deadlift is 500 pounds and uh, I haven't lifted over 225 pounds in weight in two years, minus one day last year in February where I lifted 475. 
and that was February last year. I haven't lifted heavier than 225 in a deadlift for an entire year, over a year, and I still lifted 455 yesterday. And and it wasn't hard. I mean, it was hard, but the entire movement was cr controlled not only all the way up, but all the way down. I'm not one of those people who just stand up and drop the bar. I started off like that because I'm building that strength, but I've created variability to allow myself to lower that bar down. Also, on top of that, I'm not doing alternating grip because that creates compensation in the bottle, so, body. So I'm doing a double overhand grip on this. No belt, no wrist wraps, nothing like that. It's just my raw power that I have. And I can... I dropped 20 pounds since the year before without ever lifting. And it's not even like I deadlift often. I rarely even deadlifted. But what I did do is all these weird things that people would be like, what, you know, everyone sees it. Like go look on like those uh, Instagram. I'm sure there's a site that says like weird gym people. And you see them like doing some crazy stuff that you're like, what the heck is this person doing in the gym? Doing that stuff. It's probably actually a lot better. Like go into a plank on a wall. So put your feet on a wall. Okay, so you're instead of being on a plank with the feet on the ground, put your feet on the wall. Make sure your shoulders are over your hands. Now do mountain climbers. That's that's an example of a movement that people are gonna be like, what the heck is this person doing? But what it's doing is it's putting your body under time under tension because now you can't touch the ground, so you're loading the shoulders. You're loading your core because you have to keep your midline up. And then on top of that, you're firing your psoas, which is you know a hip flexor, in a different plane. It's not just picking the knee up into the air like I'm standing. I'm in an entirely different plane that I have to fire this muscle. So now we're kicking in even more muscles. So it's all about just trying out different things. And it, so it's... so. To, let's just we're gonna pause right on this for a minute because now because now i just got into this different sort of it, kelly starrett inspired me for a second to riff on what you're saying right here so you squat you deadlifted tremendous amount of weight after barely doing anything close to that for pretty much two years i think i deadlifted honestly uh three times in the past year, actual deadlift, and the two of them were doing 100 reps at 95 pounds or 135 without ever letting go of the bar. So now what I'm going to say next is not a prescription for everybody, okay? But in the spirit of what we're talking about here with movement variability and your, you know, you have prior experience deadlifting, you have prior experience, in, experience doing a lot of things, but one thing that you do and you live by one of the principles you live by like me like you know people we know is variability of movement you know and to tie in variability of movement with your ability to lift uh that amount of weight and again the numbers thing it's it's not an ego thing this is just for as an example to yeah. give people an idea of, of of what we're what we're what you're capable of doing um by adding in a variability into your strength training routine. Um, variability, it allows you to access capacities and ranges of motion among a totality of other things. If I, if I list them all now, I'm gonna forget my point. So I'm not, <laughs> but it, it allows you to access them more instinctually and, and without being prompted to do so. Um, pretty much all the time, as long as you're grooving those patterns on a frequent basis, a frequent basis, daily, weekly, okay? And 
that's going to stave off compensatory patterns. It's going to it's going to help mitigate a lot of these compensatory patterning patterns that we develop because we're not exploring those ranges and those capacities all the time. And it doesn't have to be heavy weight. We're just talking like going upside down, doing a handstand on a wall once in a while, rolling on the ground, crawling on the ground occasionally, climbing something, pushing, pulling, uh, squatting, pressing, keeping all of those nutritious movements in your, your, your movement diet on a daily, weekly basis. Nothing crazy, just groove those patterns all the time. So when you, it's, to, it's time for you to lift a car off of your family member. Just about to say that. When, yeah. it, when it's time to do that, <clears throat> your body is, it's going to be able to access more of its full capacity in that moment in order to access that strength to be able to lift that car. And so let me go into this in a different way. So Kelly Starrett talks about having ranges of motion in your joints through doing different movements all the time, varying up your movements in order to um, buffer um, a lot of the forces that go into your body better. You can buffer the forces better. And what that means is absorbing the forces better. And let me give you an example. If you have a limited hip flexion because you don't squat on the ground enough throughout your life, just movement variability. We're like squatting on the ground on a daily basis, on a weekly basis. Um, if you're only sitting in chairs and you're never squatting down and loading your hips in those, those extreme ranges, then when it comes time to absorb heavy forces into your hips, your hips have a limited capacity to buffer those forces because you haven't accessed your maximum ranges enough. It doesn't know how to do it. It literally doesn't have the, the, the knowledge, the memory to do it. And yeah, it, it's all about creating those ranges with variability, accessing the different patterns that we were born with that we have in all in us. I don't care if you're say, well, I can't squat to the floor because I feel pain. I, I, I care, but I don't care because that's the whole point. That's the point of movement variability is vary up your movement and that pain will go away eventually. Yeah. People. Yeah. And, and exactly what you're talking about too, is you're talking about the, the variability and the importance of that full range of motion and so on and so forth. Uh, and that variability will allow it. And, and the reason that it allows it is because that muscle doesn't atrophy or overwork. So some muscles are going to be overworked. Joint and capsules, fluid all the time. It's, it's, got the, the, it's got that that memory in it, you know. And, yeah. and, and not only in that one, we're not talking about an acute area. We're talking about an acute area in conjunction with the entire body. Because, it's all yeah, it's all t tied together with fascia throughout the entire body. But if, if you're doing, it, and we're going to put this in an example. If you're doing a squat and you hit a plateau and you can't get any further, but you're also feeling pain in the hip, especially the side of the hip. It feels like you can't stretch it out. You can't work it. Usually on the TFL, uh, which is tied into like the IT band on the side of your body. We see this all the time, especially with people who yeah. squat really heavy. Yeah. yeah. So what that means is usually that lateral movement of the hips isn't working, which means that TFL is turned off. So you're feeling the pain where the IT band connects into the TFL, tensor fascia lata on the side. Uh, okay. Um, and so what we do is we just add some banded side steps and stuff like that, that put some time under tension underneath that. So now I want why is that important? Because we're not trying to max that out, but I'm going to put it this way. The reason accessory work is so important is the fact of if you're doing the same movements and you're a power lifter or anything like Olympic lifting or anything like that, and you're not doing accessory movements, you are putting a 
timetable on your lifting career. I know this because I did it. <laughs> like, like you've done it. We've all done it. But when we add in the accessory movements, we are now turning those muscles on, which now means instead of lifting with four muscles, I'm now lifting that weight with six muscles. You're plugging up the energy leaks in that dam. You yes. You have energy leaks in that in your dam. You when you squat down, if your TFL is working suboptimally, it's leaking out force production in that movement through time and space it's leak it's it's you can literally picture it like a dam leaking water if you want to go like that way picture your tfl on look just picture somewhere on the side of your hips right and you go down in a squat picture water or i would be more more morbid here let's picture blood squirting out every time that you're losing blood out of those those limiters you can call them limiters those are your weak spots those are your weak links and movement variability in general um like you use the word accessory work and I understand what that means. And some people who do a lot of training, like actual, like, um, performance related training in a gym fitness atmosphere for sport, they understand what that means, accessory movements, but also everyday life and living pain-free and mitigating pain and preventing pain and treating pain. It's the same exact thing. You can call it accessory or movement variability. It's the exact same thing. The same thing that you'll prescribe for, to strengthen up, um, or to gain more motor control in a TFL if for your TFL is a, a movement that you'll prescribe to an everyday mom or dad is, is that's what we're talking about here. It's those are your energy leaks at your, your mom, your everyday mom, soccer mom or dad, you know, your energy leak is your TFL, for example. Well, here's some movement, some variability of movement that you're not currently doing now in your everyday life based on a lot of things, but one of them being your environmental constraints. So here's your movement, here's your homework, and do that, but also change your lifestyle and vary up your movement. Go go, <laughs> throw, crawl, jump, uh, bounce, uh, skip a step, uh, squat every day. That's, um, <laughs> it's, yeah. uh, it's all literally the same exact thing. You can mitigate a lot of these energy leaks with moving your, everyday life moving movement variability that includes the high-end athlete because you need to move to recover like if you're only training and i can speak from experience if you're only cycling swimming biking you know 90 percent of your waking day <laughs> moment every single day then when you're recovering and you're not doing those things um you need to get on the floor and roll around and get into uh, a quadruped and crawl for a few seconds here and there and hang from a bar and invert yourself somehow on a handstand or even an inversion table, which I do that often. Uh, squat down and just hold it in a deep squat and breathe really deep. Um, you could call it mobility, you can call it whatever you want, but vary up the movement so that you can buffer the forces of the swimming and biking and running better. You can reclaim those ranges of motion through just daily habits daily lifestyle yeah so so realistically and that's a good point like whether we're talking about this person who's a gym rat or going to the gym at all and doing that accessory work but it, it, like you like you said matt it, it also works with the everyday mom and dad or, or child or anything like that that ultimately you're either going to be walking and using four muscles or walking and using the six to eight muscles that you should be using. So it's, it's more than just, you know, in the training routine because it needs to happen in everyday life. And as time goes on, it's just going to get worse and worse. Fitness needs to be 
a part of your life. You're either going to pay for it now or you're going to pay for it later. Either you're going to spend money on buying a gym membership, and I, I don't want to say a more expensive gym membership is always right, but the more time that you can have with a coach with eyes on you to help you out, the more you're going to be able to adapt and the faster you're going to get that. At the same time, if you don't pay for a gym membership, you're going to be paying for health care out the yin-yang and years and years and years to come. So, you know, if you're not moving well right now at 30, 40, 50 years old, you're going to be moving like garbage if you are moving. And and what happens is what you you get to the you get to the point that you get into a wheelchair. And when you're in a wheelchair, the health is just going to drop down real quick. Everything shuts down. So the muscles are going to shut down, which muscles help circulate blood flow. So veins, we're going like I'm going to nerd out with some people. Arteries push blood through the body, push down from the heart. The arteries push blood. That's their job. Veins do not push blood. They have valves in them. Veins return the blood back to the heart. So if you don't move and you're stuck in a wheelchair or think about a hospital bed, if you're in a hospital bed for a couple days, what do they give you? They give you blood thinners to allow your like blood to return to the heart. Why? Because muscles will contract the muscle. Muscles make the veins kind of work and squeeze the blood back to the heart. That's why you have valves that kind of are throughout the entire body. Because as you move, blood is being pushed up from your toe to your ankle. And if you stop moving, the blood will stay at the ankle. You move again, it'll push it up to the calf because it's going to push it up into the next valve. And then it'll stop at the calf if you stop moving. And then you walk again, it'll go up into the thigh, up into the hip, and go all the way back up to the heart. That's not exactly where all your valves are. So if uh, you want to call me out on that, feel free to. But uh, I'm just I'm, I'm using that as an example. So if we don't have movement, we're not helping return blood back to our heart, which means we're not oxygenating our body as well. So there's so many benefits. Like movement is so crucial to life. And that's why you're seeing these people who are like 70, 80, 90 years old who are still running and ripped. They're acting like they're 30 or 40 year olds. Why? Because they've taken care of their body for so long. They've been able to cycle the blood throughout their body, push nutrients to their body, keep their muscles moving. They're always probably doing something like different and and mixing it up. And they're, and they're having fun doing it. The majority of fit, of fitness or movement that they're doing physically, they're having fun and enjoying it because that plays a huge part on whether or not you uh, stick with a program, a fitness program, or some sort of sport or, or anything, is that you're actually enjoying what you're doing. Uh, if you're not enjoying it, not only are you applying um, physical stress to your body to adapt it for whatever your sport is, but you're also applying a lot of emotional uh, stress to yourself as well. And that's going to impact your sleep. It's going to impact your diet. It's going to impact your relationships. And if you haven't heard any of our prior podcasts, we all know that. And and if you open up a newspaper these days, you'll see that all, all this is a huge focus on health, wellness, and fitness. Um, um, the, the research is all supporting that we need uh, relationships. We need people. We need um, purpose. We need movement. Um, need to be outside as much as possible, um, et cetera, et cetera. So if anyone's stuck here with this movement variability thing, um, we'll do a quick minute exercise here. 
look at your daily life, your daily movement uh, diet, if you will, or your weekly movement diet. What is it lacking? And I'll give you an example. So <clears throat> these are probably common uh, movements that we're not doing enough of that's, that's directly contributing to pain down the road, either now or later. Are you looking up enough? Are you inside, indoors, and not looking up enough? Are you looking up at the stars? Are you looking up at the ceiling? Are you looking up at all? Turn your neck and look up, and then when you look up, notice, are you compensating? Are your ribs flaring out? Are you arching your lumbar spine? Is your mouth open? Is your mouth open? Try to look at the sky and then close your mouth and feel all the neck mm, flex. Yeah, yeah. yeah, feel all that stuff kick in. Okay, if that's a problem, if you're, if you're feeling those symptoms we just described, maybe you should rep that out 10 times a day and then try to get it up to 50. Maybe get it up to 100. Just hold or, your head back, you like close that, your, hold your... Yeah, hold your head back like Chicken Little. Yeah. Like, you know, the sky is falling. Close your jaw and just hold it for as long as you can. You're going to stretch out all those neck flexors. How about, um, are you laying supine on the floor? Are you doing any crocodile breathing? Lay on your belly for a minute and breathe really deep. Lay on your back. Lay, um, I'm sorry, prone on your stomach. Lay supine on your back. Um, and bring your knees to your chest. Breathe really deep. Release your knees uh, back down to the floor. See if you can focus on what on the compensation is going on. Is your lumbar spine really, is it really difficult to lay your legs flat on the floor? Are you getting a lot of tension in your back? Repeat that over and over. Breathe while you're doing it. The one thing that I started adding in my training about three months ago is somersaults. I started doing somersaults again, like a little kid. And I'll tell you what, see if your back flows or whether you try to like flip over and you just slap the ground. And I would probably advise doing it in some grass or a mat or something like that. But I started adding in somersaults like a kid because once again, it's another movement that's allowing our spine to do a little bit of work besides being up and down. And all the movements I've been naming off so far and this one included are all constrained by your environment. So that, that was sort of, you know, the theme in this podcast so far. So our environment being inside, um, looking down at cell phones, at computers, we're limited by, uh, we're not looking up enough by our environment. Our environment is dictating that a lot. You know, we're not looking up enough. Our environment, aside from sleeping, our environment is not really allowing us to just get on the floor, do some floor movements on your stomach, on your belly. Just breathe. Don't You don't have to get wild. You don't have to get crazy about it, but just regain some capacity to do that. Some others might be um, um, what, what would be a good way to, to describe your arms are always in front of you. You have anterior shoulder tilt. Why not pull your shoulders behind you and sit on the floor and put your, your arms behind you and lean back on your arms to support your body weight, to stretch out uh, a lot of that fascia and that tension in your shoulders and in your pectorals, your minor and all, you know. All. Even driving, what I always tell people too is people who have forward rolled shoulders or upper cross syndrome, I have them while they're driving, take one of their arms and put it behind their back. So between the back one. of the seat and, and their the back, bull, the and then they end up leaning back, you're gonna end up stretching that pec out and it's gonna be a good stretch. Hold it there as long as you can because that's gonna help loosen up the pec which in upper cross syndrome, you probably have some tension in the shoulders because they're overstretched. Mm -hmm. 
So what do we do? We sit and we try to roll out the shoulders, but it's not the shoulders that you need to roll out. They're overstretched. You need to roll out that front side. You need to roll those pecs out or just add that stretch in there. Like there's so many, there's, it's yeah. endless possibilities. Like but if you can think of it, you do don't, it. Don't, you don't use it, you lose it. That's so your environment is constraining these movements. And if you don't use them, you lose them and it'll impact the entire system. So look up, lay down on your stomach, on your back, breathe do the bully stretch arms behind your back to get some of that in that some that sort of tight uh shoulder and neck tension out of the body what else we have we're not reaching up enough we're not reaching over our heads hanging, enough yeah and we're not hanging enough and we're not jumping. squatting enough we're not getting down to the floor squatting jumping and, and like jumping. be not- a kid be a kid and walk on a curb again like i we talked about this like yeah. on one of some of our first podcasts but like act like you're a kid again that's what it comes down to if you see a curb walk on the curb try to balance on it like balance in general is gone in people because we have these shoes that like you know we have no connection with the ground with our bare feet uh we're not feeling like the muscles working we're so wearing flip-flops and we're crunching our toes and once again you're going back to like what you're saying environment dictates all that stuff so be a kid again like go around and do some movement we gave you some takeaways in general like uh yeah we gave you some takeaways and and the big thing is is be creative like when you start getting past that plateau or you start thinking of other things you can do or that pain's kicking in the body it's time to be creative and, you know, we touched a little bit on the, uh, in the beginning and we can dive in it. We're going to dive into another podcast, but the creativity that happens in movement generates creativity of the mind. And when we, when we start creating creativity of the mind and start thinking more for ourselves rather than following what everyone else is doing, you, yeah, you have freedom of movement, you have freedom of thought, and it just transitions into a much happier life. Like movement you know, we always say is like um, empower mindset through movement. That's, you know, our, our motto at CrossFit High Order. It's because movement is going to help you out in so many aspects of life. And, and it's just that simple. It's that simple. You just need to move. Right, Matt? Don't buy into the billboard message. Just move. It's really that simple. You're so right. Just listen to everything we said and all your life problems will be solved. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We're pretty much non-doctors on everything. And uh, yeah, but, well, but we, that's what it is. It's like anything we said resonated though. And, and take away what what you do. what you do. And if you didn't take away anything, then that's fine too. We, we hope it helps you out in some way, shape or form in your life. Like it's, it's really about, you know, just finding your own answers to everything. And trying trying new things out. If you haven't tried something, give it a shot. If it doesn't work, it doesn't work. But you never know what you can find. And I think that's one thing that Matt and I have experienced in life is that, um, yeah, we've read a million, uh, you know, articles and books and um, listened to millions of podcasts and stuff like that. But most of the learning that's happened in our life lessons that we've gone through, it's just because we've just tried them out. We took the time and just said, hey, what happens if I do this for a month? What happens if I do that for a month? What happens if I get in this position and then I try to squat? What happens, like just mixing that variability up is so important in every single aspect. And I can't like stress it enough that you, you just need to be a kid again and you yeah. need to go back to play. And what makes it even better, sweeter, whatever you want to say, is that ancient ancestral knowledge and current modern day research all are supporting one another at the same time with the messages. And it's the same message you and I are giving right now. 
it's all it's all together we're all talking about the same stuff and just because a doctor doesn't say it or a scientist doesn't say it doesn't mean that you can't do it stop always relying on the doctors and scientists to tell you what to do start just trying things out the amount of doctors that tell people my clients you can't lift over 15 pounds ever again in your life well they're never going to pick up the grandchild again i guess that's not realistic you know your body more than anyone you're going to feel what feels right and it feels wrong if it doesn't feel right it's a sign it's a symptom like don't do it but if you're like maybe let me give this a try do it you know, that process does sometimes involve injury. I'm not saying people need to go to injured, but like as a kid, guess what? You're still alive, right? You might recover from a broken bone. You have scrapes and bruises. It all heals. The body is incredible at doing that. And, the, and if you have more scrapes and bruises right now, you're probably doing it right because you're trying to experiment things. And you're probably more mobile than you were before. So um, like I said, just continue on being variable in life. Try new things out. And if you have any questions, feel free to hit me up at andrew at crossfithighorder.com or uh, head over to our Facebook or Instagram page, CrossFit High Order. And you can even check us out at uh, Kinetic Therapy and Massage. Book something good. We'll help you out. We'll give you some direction. We'll waken some things up. And uh, once again, we're always here for you guys, just trying to push that knowledge and get you guys outside that bumble. I got nothing. Thanks for listening. Thank you.